Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our reaction to the WNBA draft, but we have a very special guest to break it down for us, so please welcome from the Hear Me Out podcast, Brooks Warren. What to do, y'all? How y'all guys doing? Chilling, bro. Chilling, bro. How are you? I'm fantastic, man. It's been a Interesting week since the WNBA got their draft going, so I'm ready to talk about this. I feel like it's only fitting as Towson alums to talk about the 36th overall pick first. Kiana Jeter going to the Las Vegas Aces, Towson alum. This is huge for the Towson women's basketball program. And Brooks, I can see you're applauding. You're very happy about this move. What does Kiana bring to the table for the Las Vegas Aces? This has got, a, got another great hooper. That's what they got, man. I mean, listen, all right. Kiana, once again, top five, top six best players I've, I've ever covered, man or woman. Not only is she going to turn force turnovers on defense, not only is she going to hound you on ball, but then she's going to give you a bucket, whether that's shooting, whether that's going to the basket, transition, whatever it may be, man. She's about as complete of a uh, – offensive basketball player that you can get. My only gripe with her game is the fact that she doesn't have the world's best handle. You know what I mean? She's she's going to rip and go really on you. You know, she's got maybe one or two quick uh, good moves, or not one or two good moves, but, you know, she's got her go-to moves that she knows she's going to get. I remember at one point um, during her uh, redshirt junior season, yeah, redshirt junior season, she I remember her trying to do, like, some half, half spin jump shots a couple times it, and maybe went in maybe once out of the five or six times I watched her do it at home games. So maybe she got that out of her diet, but yeah, once again, complete basketball player, offensively, defensively, Ace has got a great one there. And I hope that she uh, makes good on that training camp deal that she gets and that third round draft pick that she gets, that she got rather. And Jalen, I think it's all the more interesting considering that the Vegas Aces also drafted Destiny Slocum out of Arkansas. She also goes to a loaded backcourt that has Chelsea Gray and Kelsey Plum on the team as well. So there's a lot of talent. Do you think that her game in college will translate to the WNBA? See, I'm really glad that that's the way you phrased the question overall because I think that's probably her, her biggest question and one of the biggest things that I had concerns about in terms of being able to move up to that level of course we were just talking about it before the pod started like fingers crossed that she got drafted but there was always kind of that wonder especially being in you know a, a smaller program basketball wise I would say I mean one of the school in terms of Towson Towson's made a little bit more noise as of late in the basketball world uh, on the women's side but one of the biggest things for Kiana Jeter was that she relied on volume. I mean, if you go back and watch a lot of the tape, high volume score had pretty much every move in the book, just like Brooks was saying beforehand. If you need an offensive package, there's nothing to ask for that she can't produce in terms of being able to put the ball in the basket. The only issue really is the volume, the, the idea that she's going to be a player that might need to get up eight to 12 shots a night in order for you to be able to see her at her most effective. And that's tricky when you've got an MVP in Aja Wilson as one of your primary offensive weapons. That's difficult when you get Liz Cambridge back. That's that's difficult when you're getting, again, like you had talked about earlier, Chelsea Gray 
is a, a, a Kelsey Plum, two very significant guards within their lineup that they're going to be really integrated, like almost reintegrating because of the fact that we didn't really get to see them last season. They're going to be in a circumstance where it's going to come down to staggering minutes, trying to be able to open up her game more in terms of being a facilitator. I think, um, Ryan, we've talked about this with other guards that we're probably going to refer to throughout this episode when we were talking about the when we did the WNBA preview uh, for the draft. Brooks made a great point that I think is going to earn her minutes and it's going to be the scrappy D. When she plays defense, it's ridiculous. And this is one of those teams that's going to really rely on her to help with turning the ball over from, from opposing backcourts. I think the defense might end up actually getting on the floor even more than the offense just because we know Vegas can score. <laughs> they didn't have an issue with that at all. That's why they were able to, you know, play themselves all the way up into the championship game against Seattle. But that's it's going to be interesting to see how much time she gets because, like you said, they kind of loaded back there. And, Brooks, I think it's it's interesting even more considering that this is the first WNBA player from Towson. So this is a huge win for Towson's program. What do you think is the impact of this draft selection um, with Kiana Jeter going to Vegas? What do you think it means for Towson's program? And it, it means once again, uh, Coach Coach Rich and uh, and Coach Kanker over there at, at Towson, man. They, you know, they coach up pros. You know what I mean? Uh, you got Nakaya who's playing overseas. Now you got Melo. You know, got first uh, ever draft pick for Towson. You know what I mean? Rich and, and, and Kanger, they know what they're doing, man. And, you know, if you want your player to – if you want your daughter, I should say, to, you know, make the most out of their basketball career, you want them to develop well, you want them to have someone that's going to, you know, create a family environment for them, help them really play their basketball game, you send them to a thousand, you know what I mean? And, again, you're going to help to build a program. You're going to help be one of the people that helps, you know, make this program one of the, like, like the female basketball version of, uh, of Gonzaga, you know what I mean? Or, you know, any other mid-major school, you know, and the CAA, they're definitely one of the, the toughest uh, conferences in the country. So, you know, and I think Towson finished what fifth or sixth place in the conference this year, you know, and uh, even in the pandemic year, like, you know, once again, their recruiting is going to be great for them. They already have, a uh, Gatorade, say, player of the year on that roster in the Ida Quebec. So you never know what else could happen. So I think it's a great for them. And, uh, you know, best of luck to, to Coach Rich and, and the Towson staff going forward. Not to mention that they also have Aaliyah Nelson, one of the better facilitators in the conference as well. Yeah, I think she finished top five in the nation for this per game. Yeah, and she was on a Towson offense that was one of the best in the NCAA at one point. So there's a lot to be hopeful for if you're a Towson fan. But as we started from the last pick, let's go all the way back to or all the way up to the first two picks of the draft with Charlie Collier and Awak Coyer. I feel like this was the consensus. These these were the consensus top two picks in the WNBA draft. And Jalen, I want to start with you because Dallas barely missed the playoffs last year. Arike Agumbuale was playing some of her best basketball toward the end of the season. Now that Dallas has a front court, what do you think is the potential of this duo of Coyer and Collier? I think the potential overall is extremely high, and I think it's mainly 
it mainly has to do with the effect that they have from a rebounding standpoint. I mean, offensively is there. If you look at what they did offensively in college and in terms of a cool year overseas, they combined for what? That would be about 27 points per game between the two of them. That part is extremely um, interesting and has its own type of upside from an offensive standpoint. But from a from a more translatable standpoint, that's effective on both sides of the ball, being offense and defense. Rebounding wise, they both averaged. Uh, when you look at the combination, they both averaged basically about twenty one rebounds per game between the two of them. I think that's pretty huge, considering that when you look at what Dallas was putting out there last year at the forward and center position. First of all, they didn't really have a true center on their team. That's that's kind of number one. Number two, they had players like uh, Megan Gustafsson, who like was only grabbing like I think about two boards a game for them. Basically, I think the bigger thing for them is that they're going to create a lot more possessions through these two young ladies. Like, I think that's the biggest thing for them is you could see it throughout the draft process that they like they went to go grab a bucket or two. I think getting Chelsea Dungy and snagging Dana Evans in the second round. We'll probably talk about that a little bit later, but like snagging Dana Evans in the second round, you got two elite scores at the guard position coming out of college. I think that Coyer and Collier are in a really good position now where a, I think they're going to be able to play off the jump and not just because of where they were selected, but out of the mere fact that they were two positions of need. B, I think they can both play next to each other, which I think is interesting because Courier has a little bit of a handle and a little bit of a stretch to her in terms of being able to step away from the basket every now and then that I think will make it where they can be pretty comparable to each other and also have a certain kind of synergy where they'll both attack the glass hard but both step on each other's toes on the offensive side of the ball. And then I think the other thing that's like most important really because Dallas was not the greatest defensive team last season is you basically grab two rim defenders back to back that do it at an extremely high level. I think the biggest, if we're talking about stepping on each other's toes, I think the biggest thing that's going to be an issue for them or that could be an issue for them is both of them chasing blocks. I think that could really be one of the most interesting things um, in terms of them on the defensive side of the ball, because they're both, very instinctual I think Collier is a little bit more um a little bit more fresh I think Collier is a little bit more uh raw as an overall prospect and that gives a lot of upside same thing with Collier but like I think she has a little bit more um already displayed I just think that's good this combination it's going to be really interesting to see what they do offensively because I think defensively it's going to be scary entering the paint is going to be something different this year when going against Dallas Brooks, I kind of want to just get your perspective on the potential of the team because I mentioned Arike Gumbawale and how she had a strong end to her season. They also have Mariah Jefferson, who I think is going to be an X factor on this team. And then Jalen mentioned Dana Evans getting selected in the second round. Also, Chelsea Dungy with the fifth overall pick as well. What's the potential of Dallas as a team? Potential of the of the Dallas Wings, man. Uh Honestly, man, I'm excited for this team. You know, I mean, once again, you 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 stock up on some great talent. You stock up on guards. You stock up on forwards, forward slash centers. They got youth, and then they got some veteran talent. You know, what I mean, and that's usually a very very dangerous recipe, especially for a professional team. So, for me, man, I think it it, it really just depends on how this talent uh, meshes together. But I will say they probably make it to at least the first round. They probably surprised a lot of people this season. They probably 
are one of the top teams, but I don't think they're a finals contender at all. I think they're a little too young, but they'll definitely be a playoff contender. And Jalen mentioned Dana Evans, and we also mentioned Destiny Slocum when we were talking about Kiana Jeter. But, I mean, there were, there were a lot of surprises in this draft, especially with where players were selected. Let's just start with the first round. Jalen, Renia Davis was a, was a player that we talked about that had the potential of going forth to the Indiana Fever, and that was a much-needed position that they, that they were looking for. And then instead they go with uh, Kaiser from uh, West Virginia, who was one of the best three-point shooters in the NCAA. She was surprised there. Yeah, and she was definitely a high scorer. But it was also interesting considering that Indiana didn't really need another guard. So, Jalen, what are your thoughts on the selection? So, first of all, I love Kaiser. Personally, um, watched her a lot throughout the year. Actually talked to her a little bit um, on the side on Instagram a little bit. But my main thing – with her is just the fact that fit wise, I think that that point about not necessarily needing a guard too much is probably the part that is the most interesting about the pick overall. I think her ability to shoot the ball from deep and is going to be one of the things that's going to be her translating skill. But I just wonder with some of the uh, redundancy with the fact that she doesn't, it's not, you know, it's not like the NBA prospect, uh, prospection of translating as like a three and D, you know what I mean? Stepping out and being one that can shoot the three at a high clip, but also go and lock down on the other side of the ball. That's not really who Kaiser is. Um, So it's just really going to be interesting to see how that goes, because, you know, the saying is always like, you know, there's one ball and stuff like that. And I do wonder with the clip that she shot, um, how much of a trigger finger she's going to be allowed to, to have in terms of pulling, you know, on a regular basis, because my biggest thing, again, like you said before, with, with the, with the, the backcourt being really crowded is how they, how do they want to play this? You know what I mean? Like, this is a fourth overall pick. She can't not play. Like that, that's number, that's the first thing we got to get established. She can't not play. I think the bigger thing is just establishing, what kind of staggered minutes are going to take place, um, who they think that they're going to play her next to, because they have, they have options to a certain extent. And I mean, we can go a little bit deeper into that um, as we break things down. They have options as the way they can stagger it. The thing that I will say might be the biggest and most interesting thing is that she might be entering somewhat of a, crowded backcourt but she after maybe only one season could pretend with the potential that she has could easily become the best guard in their backcourt that I have a belief of and I think it's going to be interesting to see her pairing with Kelsey Mitchell who was one of the top scorers in in the WNBA last season but Brooks I want to get your thoughts on this as well because we mentioned Renaya Davis because there was the potential of her being selected fourth overall do you think that Indiana should have selected Kaiser or do you think that Indiana should have selected Renaya Davis? I mean, you, you just mentioned the fact that they didn't need a, a, another guard there. You know, uh, Renaya Davis, she's what, a forward, forward big? You know, she's a wing. They could have used that size. They could have used, you know, the talent that she brings. You know, Kaiser, once again, man, she's a, like Jalen mentioned, she's a great shooter. 
She's going she's gonna to get you some buckets. She's going to be competitive on both ends of the floor. But, you know, you're kind of just – it feels like at that point, at the pick that they that they took her at, at number four, when she was predicted to be a second or third round pick, you know, it felt like um, really more of just a, like a big reach. It felt like a big reach. It felt like, you know, maybe they just had no faith in Renee, in Renaya, which is interesting to think about because Tennessee, once again, had a pretty solid season. And – and for her, she was their go-to option. So to not have, I feel like it's more of an indictment on her than it is on Kaiser, honestly. And Tennessee has had a history of producing great women's basketball players, Candace Parker being one of them. So I thought it was just very interesting to see Indiana select Kaiser. Kaiser's a great player, but I think that it's just going to be interesting to see how she gels with this team. As if we thought those were the biggest surprises. We look at the second round and what maybe is the most loaded second round of any WNBA draft. Dana Evans, Natasha Mack, Arella Garantis, Destiny Slocum, and Kiana Williams fall out of the first round. Those five women were five of the best players in women's college basketball, and they all had the potential of going in the first round. Jalen, I want to start with you on this one. Which player do you think was the most shocking in terms of their fall out of the first round. So I know it would be easy to say Dana because we've been pushing her name so much, but it's got to be Natasha Mack, bro. I, I think that it is really intriguing to me that you can average nearly 19 points a game, nearly 13 rebounds a game, and four blocks a night while shooting like plus 50% from the floor, and you get taken, what, 16? That is insane. And I'm pretty sure she was somewhere between uh, 6 and 10 when we were looking at the ESPN mock draft board. So Chicago got them, a, got, them, got them a hooper, for real. Especially got them somebody who can compete defensively for them, which I think is going to be huge. I think that that's just really interesting that she was able to fall being somebody who is that active defensively. Now, I'll, I mean – if we're going to go through, I think Chicago also got extremely lucky. I pulled up a roster while we're talking. And in terms of what they have at the at the forward center position, I mean, this is a team that is guard heavy to the maximum. We got Kalia, uh, Kalia Copper here uh, at guard, but who's, who's going to be an interesting player for them as one of their younger players prospect-wise. But when you look at what they have center forward-wise, Stephanie Dolson, Ruthie Hebbard, Obviously, Natasha Mack now is in the is in the mix. Candace Parker is the the one swing player, I think, in all of this in terms of that position itself. Kobe Thornton and then Gabby Williams. I think that this is one of those situations where Chicago has to feel a little blessed. I ain't gonna lie because this one's extremely surprising that she was able to fall that far down. And I think the great part about it is that I think regardless of where she was taken, I think she'll play like soon. And I think she's going to be really interesting because not only is she going to pay, be a good defensive pairing next to Candace Parker, but I think this also gives Courtney Vandersloot another target. And as one of the better facilitators, if not the best facilitator right now in the WNBA, giving her another weapon is like extremely dangerous. Just saying it out loud, let alone what that could look like on the floor as another person that she can facilitate to drop it down low to, or even just, uh, as, as a player like Natasha Mack, who runs the floor well, plays with extreme effort, a lot of instinct, 
I think Courtney Vandersloot is going to be able to play off that really well, and that's going to be really interesting to see how they mesh as well. So, yeah, her Natasha Mack falling that far, crazy. I think it's even more interesting considering that with their eighth pick, they selected Shyla Heal out of Australia. I think that's somebody that can definitely play the backup guard role for Courtney Vandersloot and provide some production coming off the bench. But also with Natasha Mack, if you think about her pairing with Candace Parker, that's maybe the best front court in the WNBA. If we think about the potential, not only of a WNBA legend in, in Candace Parker, but also the upside of Natasha Mack coming out of Oklahoma state, especially with what she did in college. So that's going to be very interesting to see Brooks. What about you? Because again, there's, there's four other players on this list of players who fell out of the first round. Who do you think was the most shocking? So we, we've already, we touched a little bit on Dana Evans. Jalen just, Wonderfully made a point about Natasha Mack. Who were the other two uh, or number three uh, options again? The other three options were Arella Garantis, Destiny Slocum, and Kiana Williams. Honestly, and and I don't know how you guys feel about her, but I feel like uh, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not the biggest fan of of Kiana Williams, but Destiny Slocum getting out of the first first round was very surprising to me. I mean, of course, she's a uh, she was like a fifth-year senior, right? Six-year senior, you know what I mean? Again, we knew about her from Maryland. Ends up going to Arkansas. Ends up going to um, uh, Oklahoma State as well. I believe it was Oklahoma State, right? Yeah, you know, in from day one she was balling out. So for her to fall out of the first round was very surprising to me. It feels like once again this draft had fifty-two, uh, you know, not sign-ins but fifty-two uh, sign-ups basically for this draft. So of course, someone's gonna end up losing. Someone's gonna end up not not getting their just due. And Destiny Slogan was definitely one of those pe- players for me. I'm a big fan of hers. I feel like her just falling to the Las Vegas Aces and being able to compliment. You know, we already just talked about Melo. You know what I mean? Aces again. They had an MVP candidate in, in Asia Wilson. They still have Liz Cambridge. Cambridge. You know. Oh my gosh! Like the Aces once again. They had a, a great draft. Just getting two great guards in that draft class but yeah I think Destiny Slocum was one of those players again she's can do it all offensively she's she's going to compete on both ends of the floor I love saying that you know what I mean and she's a great point guard she's a great floor general you know I think she's going to be able to bring some type of a very calming and poise to this team that you know what I mean maybe maybe Melo can can give as a as a combo guard really and I think it's it's also interesting to mention Kiana Williams and Arella Garantes because they're going to two teams that kind of need some guard help, considering that with Los Angeles, they lost Chelsea Gray in the offseason. She had a great season last year with the Sparks. And then Seattle, I feel like they really need somebody to take over Sue Bird's role, even though Sue Bird's playing at a high level. I feel like eventually Sue Bird's going to pass the torch to somebody Maybe it will be Kiana Williams, but Jalen, I want to I get your point of view on this one because I think it's interesting that Kiana Williams is going to Seattle. How do you think that she is going to fit in with this team? I mean, I think if we're going to, if we're going to break down both of these prospects, I mean, starting with, with Williams, I think the main thing was that you couldn't, you could not get a guard in this draft for Seattle, right? Sue Bird's time. Is slowly dwindling, and although she doesn't have to do much with the kind of offensive firepower that she has around her, it's still one of those things that in order to be able to continue to have championship equity, you have to be able to 
have a surplus at the position. And that's really, in reality, that's really what they're doing by making this pick. I think the most interesting thing about it is that she's in a circumstance where she's going to be able to take from a lot of very interesting high-level players. Like, we have to remember, even at that same position, Jewel Lloyd is another player on this team for her that's going to be really interesting in terms of her translation. Obviously, Brianna Stewart is, uh, you know, forward, but still has so many guard-like assets that I think that that's still something that from a game from a game development standpoint, Keanu Williams can still take away from that as well. I think that when you look, when you really look at Seattle, and I'm not just trying to say this because they're, they're coming off a championship, but when you look at the way that Seattle is built right now, one of the bigger things that was so interesting about them from an offensive standpoint is possessions. And I think the thing is that because they play with such a good pace, because they play in a way that is so controlled, I think it's going to give Keanu Williams a chance to really grow by really learning the game straight up. I, I kind of agree with Brooks a little bit in terms of not being a huge fan, but I think that's because there's a certain level of potential that's still not fully tapped or realized yet. And I think by going to Seattle, you're in a really interesting circumstance where there's a handful of players that can really kind of give the game. And I think that's going to be one of those things that really leans in her favor. When you talk about Garantes, wasn't, if I'm not mistaken, in the mock draft that we had looked at, she was supposed to go fifth, right? She was supposed so, to go third, actually. She was supposed to go third. Okay, see, that 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 even more so kind of puts things in perspective. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, because she was supposed to go where Ari McDonald was, and that's why we thought that it was going to be that battle between Ari McDonald and Dana Evans between five and six. But with Garantes, that I think, I think if you want to talk about significant – droppers i understand from a talent standpoint we brought up dana we brought up natasha but like just from an overall draft board standpoint garanta has dropped in a significant way like in a significant like in a, a scary significant way because we had used a mock draft that was technically about a week or two old as to when we were doing that episode there was a mock draft that had came out not even a day, not even a full days before the WNBA, WNBA draft took place just because of the last second trade that took place with the Dallas Wings. And Garantis was still top five, even in that, even in that new article. So the fact that she was able to fall all the way to 22, hey, again, I think you said it beforehand, Los Angeles is in a really good situation because they've had one go out the door and now they're bringing another talent in with Garantis. But I think, I don't want to say she's a steal just yet, but I think when you're mock top five and you go 22, that has some that has some steal potential there. Now, I hope that doesn't have anything to do with her style of play and it has or, or injury and it just has more to do with certain teams looking at what their fit is or what kind of culture they're trying to establish there's a lot of interesting international pickups in this draft as well that I think is going to be really kind of cool to see throughout the season in terms of how that stuff plays out but um I would say in terms of Garantes Garantes is probably the most interesting faller despite the fact that she might not be the most talented out of everybody that we're discussing I raised your Garantes and I ask you about D.D. Richards, man, because once again, D.D. Richards, she's going to give you a lot more on the defensive end than she is on offense. But again, she's she was barely this point guard 
we saw what happened in the national title or national, not national title game, but elite eight game where, you know, she exits the game. They end up losing their 19 point lead. You know what I mean? They end up losing the game at the buzzer. You know, I feel like the New York Liberty, they got a great pickup and her, cause you know, once again, New York Liberty, they're going to be young. Um, you know, they still got Sabrina Unesco over there. I feel like Dee Dee Richards is going to be someone who can help spell her, be a great playmaker, you know, end up getting you turnovers, end up just defending you, you know, defending anybody else and kind of being like that anchor. I feel like she's definitely going to be an underrated pick. What do you think? I think the facilitation from her is going to be the main thing that steps out. I think when you have the kind of buckets that you're going to be getting across the board with New York as it is, I mean, the fact that she's a high-level facilitator is going to be really interesting. Now, how she can step that up with the talent around her is going to be interesting. But, I mean, like, um, when you really think about the circumstances of New York and the kind of weapons that she's going to have around her to decision-make with, Asia Durr, Natasha Howard, who's just came over, um, uh, Bettina Laney is another one, just came over as well. So, I mean, when you factor all of that in, I mean, they're in a really, really interesting circumstance where they've got a handful of players around where I think Didi's going to be able to step in and really kind of just eat off others. And I think that's going to really work out for them overall because I do think that they kind of need somebody who can facilitate and uh, really play. I think Asia Durr is a bucket. I don't necessarily know if she could facilitate. And that's one of those things where I think their backcourt is so bucket heavy that I think that D actually gives them a different kind of element that makes them actually more interesting. Kind of like when uh, the NBA reference here, but it's kind of like when Sacramento decided to grab Tyrese Halliburton, it's a completely different gauge. It's a completely different switch of energy from De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox's high level energy, big time athlete, loves to run plays well out in space. Tyrese Halliburton's a guy who's a little bit more controlled, can run the offense within a slow pace, is a guy who can kind of really just be within his spot and doesn't do anything hyper-athletic or doesn't do anything hyper-well, but he does everything within his arsenal well. And I think that this can be a really similar circumstance where they've got two elite scores or two at least high-level scores in the backcourt, and now you have somebody in D.D. Richards who can really – kind of give them a change of pace that I think might actually help them rather than hurt them. And I think she's a player that can make an instant impact. And that's a good transition to Brooks on this one, because I feel like there are a lot of players in this draft that could make an instant impact for their team. And Brooks, I just want to get your thoughts on this. Who's a player that you believe could make an instant impact on their team? Out of the whole draft? Out of the whole draft. Out of the whole draft, man. It's hard to give you just one player, though, man, because... List them, bro. List them. What's up? <laughs> List them, bro. Definitely, I mean, I, I feel like Awok, Awok uh, year. Sorry, I'm, I'm butchering her name again. I feel like she's going to have a... Once again, dude, you watch, you watch her game and you watch her highlights. She's someone who's, for one, absolutely amazing athlete absolutely you know she she can knock down jays from anywhere that you want her to do you know what i mean charlie i feel like for one you know at charlie is what she was graded at six five i feel like her game is really just once again you know as opposed to obviously it's going to be based off of 
who gets you the ball, you know, down low. But I feel like she isn't the featured weapon that you may think that she is, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like, you know, she just fed off some really good feed, some really good, uh, some really good opportunities there. But I don't think she's the number one weapon. I feel like AWOC, I feel like she's just going to eat, you know what I mean? And she's going to be able to really just surprise a lot of people because, you know, you, you see a overseas player nominate the way that she did, and you think she's not going to be able to do that here in this country, you know what I mean, professionally against American players. And oftentimes they end up surprising you. So I feel like she might be the, one of the biggest ones. Dana Evans is definitely going to be hungry enough, you know what I mean, coming from Gary, Indiana, coming from Louisville. Dude, she's got a big chip on her shoulder. She's going to be a, a great addition for that team. So I feel like those two, from the Dallas Wings, of course, will be the uh, – immediate contributors, you know, I mean, Dana's going to be off the bench. AWOC, we're going to have to see what happens because they're going to be a crowded front court, but that's going to be a fun situation to see. Jalen, what about you? Because like I mentioned, a lot of talent in this draft with the 36 picks that were selected, who's a player or even players that you think could make an instant impact with their team? Yeah, man. So I got to be fair across the board because we didn't get to the third round that much. So I'm going to kind of go through each round and kind of pick a player because I think each round had at least a player that you could see next season, not only playing big minutes, but standing out off the top. So I think in the first round, it has to be Jasmine Walker getting taken by Los Angeles, I think was huge because she fills a role. I know that Zowie B was more of a center in this position, but because Walker is so versatile offensively and defensively, I think she's going to be able to step right in. And in a situation where uh, Naneka Ogumuke is really the only other player standing in her way from a talent standpoint. And I think that Jasmine Walker, because she's a little bit bigger, because she has a little bit more length and is a little bit more versatile on the defensive end, I think they'll be able to play next to each other in a really interesting way but I think she's going to be able to get a lot of burn early. And I think on a team that is trying to really figure themselves out, you know, they've got Tia Cooper is another one that I think has a really high upside on this team as well. Because they have so many players that are like, man, this could be a really great hit if they kind of continue to develop. I think Jasmine Walker is somebody who can maybe even slowly help the rest of the team find their real niche within their positions because of the fact that she makes – a lot of these other players just as interchangeable as she is because as she moves along, it's going to give a chance for these other players to also kind of identify what their skill sets are across the floor. So I think Jasmine Walker for Los Angeles is huge. I think in the second round, I'm going to, I'm going to harp on it again, bro. Natasha Mack for Chicago. I think the fact that she's going to be able to step in and probably be like a day one starter at worst case scenario is one of the first um, ladies off the bench. I think that when you have that kind of defensive presence to have to average four blocks a game, with like which is extremely insane, insane in, in any context, four blocks a game, averaging a double double with nearly twenty points per game. Th- that shows that although she doesn't have an extensive game, like she's not very like mid range heavy, she's not stretching the floor in any way whatsoever. But the fact that she is that active on the glass, the fact that she's that active around the rim, that's a high energy, high effort play that's going to get minutes and it's going to kind of show out early in Chicago is a position where I think that could be considered one of the bigger steals of the draft because her fall to Chicago not only is a great situation for her in terms of her being able to step in right off the bat, but it's also a great situation for them because it's a position that I don't think they were going to be that I don't think they thought they were going to be able to 
feel with that kind of talent? I mean, I know that in the first round they got Charlotte Hill out of Australia, and she's really interesting just out of the fact that she's really crafty with the ball, and I think that's something that's going to be fun to watch with them. But I don't think that if they didn't make that pool then, I don't think that they thought they were going to even have a chance at Mac, and they ended up being able to do so. And then in the third round, that's where stuff gets kind of tricky. Um, you know, we want to say Kiana Jeter. I think that's going to have a lot to do with just the playing time and what they want to do with her in terms of her overall just, like, fit on the floor, I think is going to be the most interesting thing with them. Rather than singling out one player in this group, I'm more so just going to say that it's going to be really interesting to see how, like, the overseas players from this third round go. You got Valerie Higgins, um, who played for Pacific. That that's uh, She stands out at the top just because I've not really seen a lot of her, so I'm going to look into her a little bit more. But uh, Marine uh, Faldo out of France, um, Florencia Chagas out of Argentina. Like, I think that that's going to be uh, one of those interesting things, too. Aina Ayuso played at Oregon, but also came out of Spain. Like, it was a handful of international flavor in the third round. So I think that's just going to be interesting just to see how they translate um, to the don't game on to, this side. Don't want y'all to forget about uh, Lindsey Pulliam, too, from Northwestern. Mm-hmm. Went to good council down the road in Olney. She's a pro bucket as well. Oh, my gosh. I mean, if I could compare to anybody right now, just from, I don't know, man. Again, like I said, pro bucket, she's going to be just a, a great addition for the Indian. No, it's not Indiana Fever. I'm sorry, Atlanta Dream. It's just as far as someone who can come off the bench or, you know, just be like a change of pace, pace type of player because, again, She's going to get you whatever you need, you know what I mean, whether that's from the mid-range, from the three, you know what I mean? She's crafty with the ball, and she's a great leader. So I feel like she could be a great steal for for the Atlanta Fever as well. I mean, not Atlanta Fever, Atlanta Dream as well. Brooks, you mentioned the Indiana Fever briefly. I want to talk about a player that they selected in the third round, Chelsea Perry from the University of Tennessee at Martin, who was a great guard for them. At one point, she was one of the leading scorers in the – NCAA it's going to be very interesting to see again where she fits on this team considering that like we mentioned earlier there's a lot of guards on the Indiana fever and I think at the time of of the recording when I named her one of my unsung hoopers she had five double doubles to that point and three of them were 30 and 10 games so she's proven she can rebound the ball she can attack the glass she can get a bucket down low she has that potential I just think it's going to be very interesting to see what Indiana what the situation with Indiana and how she fits in with the Indiana fever. Moving on to players that weren't drafted at all. One player in particular that wasn't drafted, Selena Lott from Marquette, 14.7 points a game, 5.2 assists. She ended her Marquette career ranking herself 23rd all-time in scoring, 10th in assists, 9th in steals, and 8th in blocks. And she was also the Big East co-defensive player of the year this past season. Brooks, I kind of want to start with you on this one. Those are a lot of accomplishments that I just named. And she was a talented player this year or this past season for Marquette. Why do you feel like she wasn't drafted? It's tough, man, because, again, you got three rounds for 12 teams to pick you. You know what I mean? You only have 100, was it 144 spots in the W. That's tough. Sometimes, sometimes you end up being just the odd man out. You know what I mean? And 
there's there isn't even any guarantee that you you keep a spot as a third round draft pick. So for Selena Lott to not get a draft spot, despite her accomplishments in the in Marquette, uh, in the in the Big East, I think it's a really just an indictment on not having expansion. You know, uh, Kathy Kathy Englehart, the the president, and the um you know the commissioner of the WNBA, she was saying you know if we end up getting the numbers that we need, you know, for television, for revenue, and all that, you know, I mean, we could, we could go see what happens with expansion, and I feel like. For players like Selena a lot, for anybody who's been undrafted in prior drafts, you know, that was really the difference between going to overseas year round and playing in the WNBA, you know. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, you get someone as talented as she is and did not get drafted, you know, when, you know, you had a whole bunch of overseas players come in and end up taking spots in the third round. But, you know, that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. Jalen, I mentioned the top player that wasn't drafted in the WNBA draft was Selena Lott. There was one team that didn't have any picks at all in the WNBA draft, and that was the Washington Mystics. What sort of impact do you think that the Washington Mystics are going to make with some of these undrafted players like Selena Lott as we get closer to the beginning of the WNBA season? Um, that's really interesting because they already have like kind of a, their own weird influx of talent out of the fact that they had players, their top players miss last season. So I think the biggest thing for them is they're in a very big run it back mode. Now I will throw this out here that as, a, as talented as Selena Law is, I just don't necessarily know what her projection is at the next level besides being a defensive stopper for them right now. I do know that she's, you know, she stands very high in terms of assists and three pointers made in terms of Marquette's, you know, school history for that, uh, for that program. Uh, by the way, Selena is getting a look from Minnesota. So this doesn't necessarily mean that she's not going to make it into the league. Um, this just makes it, this just makes her road, you know, obviously a little bit steeper in terms of the fact that she's going to have to really earn it in training camp. But I think Minnesota is the, is the most interesting statement about this because what do we see in the draft with Minnesota? One of the first things they leaned on in, in the very first round, Renaya Davis, what is her calling card? being one of the most elite perimeter defenders in this entire draft class. So I think that by by lot stepping to a team like the Lynx, who clearly, based on their first round draft pick, value the idea of being able to have switchability, have versatile defensive players, um, I think that that's one of those things that I think actually increases her chances of maybe being able to really make a roster because I think Minnesota is like the perfect um, place for her to really cut her teeth. If we're talking about being able to be at a, uh, being able to carve a position for herself. And that was their only, that was, I mean, that was really their only pick. So there was that Brooks. I'll swing it to you that in this way though, when it comes to the mystics, how do you feel about them with in, in consideration to the players they missed last season and how, what they're getting back this year? I mean, you, you painted it perfectly with the fact that this this is basically a running back team. You know what I mean? You get Natasha Cloud back, you get DD back, and you get Tina Charles back. And Tina Charles was supposed to be one of the, the biggest additions for the Mystics last season heading into the bubble. Um, you know, unfortunately, the two best players on the squad didn't play. You know what I mean? This was supposed to be the year. You could really say that this was going to be the year that they end up playing against the Seattle Storm, or that year is going to be the time they play against the Seattle Storm again, see if they can avenge that loss. You know what I mean? The Seattle Storm humbled 
the mystics like my goodness that was an ass woman so <laughs> second time around i don't know what could have happened but i feel like it would have been an entertaining uh matchup once again so for them you know what i mean they have a year off fresh bodies those three players you know what i mean looking at the roster right now they still got Maisha Hines Allen, great pickup for the for the Mystics last year. They still have, you know, Kiara Leslie. They still have Ariel Atkins, who she's a all defensive team member. Um, this is a as a talented of a roster that you can get. And I feel like they're gonna be one of the biggest threats to let's say the Aces, to the Storm, to a really any WNBA contender, simply because again, they have combination of youth and veteran talent you know what i mean last time i saw elena deladon play basketball she was an mvp shooting at a 50 40 90 clip and she's literally the first WNBA player to do that so there's no telling what she can do with just a year off you know another year to just be at home seething that her team lost without her so i feel like that i feel like that's gonna be a lot of fun to watch can't sleep on Emma Mieseman either, who came up big in terms of their whole – in terms of their championship run, she was a player that came up big with the fact that Elena Deladon was slowly kind of, you know, drifting off in the, some of those playoff series due to injury. So I think that that's I'm gonna really, look, really I'm interesting sorry, I, overall. I think, I'm, I think she's not playing because it's an Olympic year. Too. Oh, okay. So that'll be something. So I actually think that that'll be, I'm glad you pointed that out because I think that'll be something worth uh, keeping an eye on with that being the case, because I think with that being something to factor in, uh, Ryan, going back to what you had said earlier about undrafted players, this is another situation where I think that might open up a circumstance. Obviously that's not necessarily opening a roster spot overall. Emma Meesman is still going to be a member of this team, but in terms of her participation and her contribution, to a team that is looking to get back on the championship trail. I think we all believe that. I don't think that they're going to look at some of these players that have kind of uh, fell out of the fray due to the draft and not maybe try to get their pick of the litter. So it'll be really interesting to see how active they are, especially with the fact that I wouldn't say Emma Misaman is their second or third best player, but she's a very clutch player. clutch come up big kind of player and I think that's going to be one of those things where you're not going to be able to replace that easy but I don't see them just standing pat either so you meant you guys mentioned the Washington Mystics and I want to close out the episode with something that we we prefaced um yesterday when we were talking and preparing for the episode I had asked both Jalen and Brooks to put a grade on six different teams so Jalen, we're going to start with you on this one because we talked about the Washington Mystics briefly and we're going to continue that discussion with Brooks. But let's start with the Atlanta Dream in the WNBA draft. They drafted Ari Ari McDonald with the third overall pick and then Raquel Carrera from Spain in the second round. What grade do you give the Atlanta Dream? Not only just combining what they did with the draft, but also with what they've done in the offseason so far. Um, I would have to say that it's a, a, a B plus. Um, I think that the, the main reason is because because Ari really moves the needle. Um, I think it's just going to be interesting to see whether or not that that offensive she package she has translates to the next level. She's scrappy defensively. And I think that's going to be one of the things that really leans in her favor. And it's going to be a huge upside factor for her on this team. But you pair her with players like Kennedy Carter, Cheyenne Parker, you go down the list um, in terms of a lot of the guard that they're gonna that she's gonna be in the mix with. 
I think that, you know, even looking at certain players who are going to have to slowly develop a little bit, Monique Billings, Brittany Brewer, I think it's one of those circumstances where I think that picking Ari, it might have been a product of tournament madness. This might have been a little bit of a Dante DiVincenzo kind of pool in terms of seeing a player really have a great march. And that being one of those things that really puts her on the map. I'm not saying Ari wasn't in the mix beforehand, but even leading into that tournament and, you know, coming away from that tournament, we were still seeing Ari slotted five, six. So being taken third, oh my goodness, it's not the most dramatic thing in the world. But when you think about the impact of what she did throughout March, moving up three slots, tells you a lot about what March Madness can do for your draft stock because that is, although it doesn't sound like a lot on paper, that is significant in terms of the kind of impact that you'll have, the kind of playing time you may get, obviously the kind of contract you might grab as well entering the league. So I think that I have to give it a B plus. I think the biggest thing is going to be really interesting, again, when it comes to McDonald, is just how she translates as an offensive player for this team because they've got a lot of buckets and I think the main thing that's going to come to fruition is just or that's going to need to come to fruition is this team has to grow as a roster because I don't think this team is ready yet. Um, they fall in a lesser position, but same interesting premise that New York is that I feel like they're a young team that makes sense, but isn't isn't now they're next. I don't think they're now. And I think that's that's kind of the interesting thing that we're going to have to kind of, you know, dissect a little bit throughout the season. Ryan will obviously kind of like pay a lot, we'll probably deep dive into these teams a lot more as the season, you know, starts and then goes along. So I think, yeah, I think Atlanta is going to be really promising. It'd be interesting to see how this team grows. So Brooks, we kind of talked about this a little bit with the Washington Mystics and they're standing right now without any draft picks. What grade do you give the Washington Mystics just combining everything that they've done in the offseason, signing Alicia Clark? What grade do you give the Washington Mystics up to this point? Uh, you know, adding Alicia Clark that you, like you mentioned, re-signing Natasha Cloud, uh, getting EDD back, Tina Charles. I think, honestly, when you, when you look at the fact that they're running it back plus Alicia Clark, I have to say, I, I give them, I give them a B plus as well. I think that, um, you know, once again, you have two, your two best players. They're coming off a year break. You don't know what you're getting from those two. You don't know what you're getting from Natasha Cloud either. I mean, she sat out the last, she last, she sat out the bubble, the bubble too. So, it's um, it's as many question marks as there are just guarantees, I guess you could say about this team. You know, what I mean, you know they're going to be a veteran presence. You know they're going to be a playoff contender, but. How is this team going to look as far as chemistry-wise? How is this team going to look integrating those, th those three players back, those four players? Um, I don't know. I'm excited to see them play, but I think there's just as many questions surrounding that team as there are guarantees. And speaking of questions, Jalen, Seattle's an interesting team as well, considering that they lost Alicia Clark, who Brooks mentioned signed with the Washington Mystics. They also lost Natasha Howard, two great offensive players on this team. What grade do you give Seattle up to this point? Man, so you can't lose that kind of talent and be on the positive note uh, of an offseason. So I got to put this at about a C minus. Um, it's just weird, though, because coming off of a championship, they lost so much talent, but they're still 
pieces there that you can't deny the the kind of production that they provide. Sue Bird obviously is a floor general, universally renowned, is one of, if not the best player in the WNBA. And from a historical standpoint, I definitely think that she would at least be considered to be up there. Brianna Stewart is somebody that during the entire playoff push, Ryan, what did we call her? The KD of the WNBA from a scoring standpoint. So, I mean, that's extremely, that's extremely high praise, but also not hyperbole either. Then you touch on players like Jewel Lloyd, I think is going to be still uh, a big player in the mix of all of this. Kiana Williams is still going to be in a situation where I think, like I said earlier, when we were talking about her being grabbed up by this team with the kind of players that they have around, it's going to be interesting. They've got a lot of veteran presence, too. I mean, they've got basically three 30-plus-year-olds on this team. Um, so they're a team that – it's weird. I think Seattle is in an interesting standpoint where I don't, I don't think that they're the team they were last season, but I still think that they're a team that's going to be looking to be in the championship Hunt, I think the biggest thing for them is that this year might actually be win or bust more than it was last season out of the mere fact that I think Sue Bird is one year further through. Their team is a lot older um, now. They've got a couple of bright spots here and there, obviously with Brandon Stewart being the face of the franchise at 25 years old, but they've got a lot of players that float more between that 24 to 26 range. Um, So it's going to be really interesting what their pivot decides to be on do they after this season do they make moves in free agency and try to maintain a more veteran style roster or is there a part of them that you know if Sue Bird decides to move on whatever the circumstances are do they start to slowly hit the reset button with Brianna Stewart being that pillar for the team as opposed to Bird you know we mentioned a lot of potential and we talked about this earlier with Dallas and Brooks I want to continue this with you what grade do you give the Dallas Wings up to this point I say, I say I give them I'm giving them an A minus right now. Um, again, you you end up picking picking up uh, uh, those those three players, Dana Evans. Um, you know, and she's gonna. I feel like she's gonna be the the biggest X factor, as as well as Awok. Uh, again, two players that are gonna be bucket getters. They're def, they're definitely gonna be able to shoot the ball well. You know, what I mean, we see what Dana Evans was able to do throughout her season. Um, I mean, they they both have big shoes to fill, though, especially Charlie Collier as the number one pick. I think the main thing is how is Arike going to be able to adjust to, you know, being able to just rely actually on a little more on, on, on some great talent because, you know what I mean, the second leading scorer on that team was Setu uh, Sibley from Oregon, you know what I mean? And she scored 13.9 a game. You have Alicia Gray at 13.1. Marina Mabry at 10.6. You know what I mean? You end up picking up two. Dana Evans possibly being number three as a, as a double-digit scorer. So it's going to be interesting to see how balanced this team is. Again, they're going to be super young, though. Um, you know what I mean? You're, I think your biggest uh, veteran presence here is Kayla Thornton. Kayla Thornton and... As to Nador, for, for, they're going into the fifth year of this league. So it's not like they're going to have a big uh, veteran presence, like I say, Chicago Sky, 
Washington Mystics. I think it's just going to be interesting to see how their coach just brings that that talent together. And Jayon, I think it's another interesting thing to talk about. Another team in the Indiana Fever. They missed the playoffs a couple of years in a row. They finished toward the bottom of the standings last year. They had a pretty good draft, especially with the the fact that they were able to pick up Kaiser with the fourth overall pick. Chelsea Perry in the third round, I thought was a steal. Or what grade do you give the Indiana Fever up to this point? I give them a C plus, and it's because of the it's because of a lot of stuff you just said in terms of them being a team that's been teetering and in search of that playoff berth. Um, I think going out on swings with those picks was just extremely interesting. I mean, Kaiser first was one of those where. You know, what came to me was, you know, we thought Renia Davis was the one. And it's interesting. They went the complete opposite way. Renia Davis was elite perimeter defender. Biggest knock on her was improve the three-point jumper. In reverse, they decided to go with uh, Kaiser Godricic. And instead, what they lean on is more three-point shooting at a less valuable position in terms of what they already have on the roster. And one of her biggest knocks is going to be improving on the defensive side of the uh, defensive side of the ball, which in terms of her position is going to be perimeter defense. So that was the first really interesting thing. I think Chelsea Perry is another one where you go and look at it and say, this is more of a let's see how things fit kind of pick. So it's just like the fact that for a team that is in such a need of a difference maker, to to basically go with two swings is like really um interesting to me like when we talk about like the circumstances of what what was going on i just feel as though i'm not really sure what indiana's vibe is like chelsea dungy went after kaiser Jasmine Walker went after Kaiser. Renia Davis went after Kaiser. Like, that's just in the first round. So, I mean, that's just in the first round in terms of the type of talent that they missed out on. Um, In terms of the second round, they went with Unique Thompson, uh, which I think is an interesting pickup for them because of the double-double aspect that she has. I do think that she might be the more surefire player in terms of the second round, but Arella Garenta is – you talk about tackling the guard position. If you were going to be able to see somebody fall, shoot. <laughs> I would have went with Renia Davis in the first round. And Garantes, basically, I know this is 2020 hindsight, but you could have gotten Renia Davis and Arella Garantes in the same draft, in the same exact draft. And for them, I think that's completely different. I think the fact that we're looking at the, these circumstances and – you know, they didn't swing on a Natasha Mack in the first round. They didn't switch. They didn't um, go for a, a Davis in the first round. The second round being, a, like I said beforehand, their circumstance where I think Unique Thompson is going to be interesting. But Garantis was a player that ended up falling. Had they had tackled the forward position early, they wouldn't have had to try to make up for it with a, what I would consider a lesser player with maybe a, a, an interesting potential skill set. Yeah, I got to give them a C because I feel like they did a lot of swings. Like, I know it's 2020 hindsight in terms of seeing, like, we didn't know Garantis was going to fall. She was supposed to go as high as third. So it's kind of hard to kind of, like, read the tea leaves without looking at it from our perspective post-draft. 
but it just seemed like there was for a team that desperately kind of needs a strong talent influx they didn't grab anybody to me that's like game changer and Jalen you mentioned Renaya Davis and Brooks I think this is a good transition to you when we're talking about Minnesota because Renaya Davis was drafted with a ninth overall pick to the Minnesota Lynx given what they've done in the offseason because they made a, they made some pretty good moves and they kept their core intact what grade do you give the Minnesota Lynx up to this point I mean, just with the draft, I mean, getting Renee Davis is, is a great pickup. Jalen, you mentioned the fact that, you know, Minnesota wanted to build up that defensive that perimeter defensive play, um, and they were able to do that exactly with that pickup. But then you end up losing Odyssey Sims. You end up losing Lexi Brown. Um, I think that's going to hurt them uh, just, you know, this season going long-term, just losing that playmaking and that shooting uh, just from those what those players, not to mention the fact that you still – don't have Maya Moore, who is still doing her thing, the social justice stuff. Um, you know, Christine, Christine, Crystal Dangerfield and uh, Nafisha Collins, they're both great. They're both going to be solid players. They're both going to be great for the Minnesota Lynx. I think the, the question right now is, is, is Crystal Dangerfield going to be able to take that next step and be that complete player for the, for the Lynx and be able to be that leader that they need now that it looks like Maya Moore is not going to be here for another season? Um, you know, and you, you got to ask the same question of, of Nafisha as well. Uh, Renee Davis, she's going to have a lot of a lot on her plate, but again, she's going to be able to play behind some of these guys, be a demo starter possibly, and really soak up the game. So it's going to be interesting, man. She's six two, same size as uh, as Nafisha Davis, I believe. So yeah, I'm 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 going to stay behind that C. Just from the fact that they, you know, they able to give him one good pickup, but then they lost a good amount of talent in Odyssey and Lexi Brown. Still got Kaylin McBride too, and Kaylin McBride is is a great star for that team, or not great star, but solid pickup for that team as well. Jalen, moving on to another team now in the New York Liberty, who it seemed like they got significantly better than they were last year. What grade do you give the New York Liberty up to this point? I have to give them an A because they got active. They got active. I think one of the biggest things is although they might have lost talent, they like the influx that they got in 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 return was more than worth the worth than what the circumstances of what they lost was because they went out and grabbed ta- talent. Natasha Howard, big talent. Uh, Bettina Laney, big talent, especially on the offensive end, um, end of the floor. I think that's going to be a really interesting pairing with Sabrina. Zowie B tackles that center position to a certain extent as well. I think that's going to be huge. I think Onion, where um, her versatility um, at the forward spot is going to be one of those things that I think is going to make her easy to pair with a lot of these players, especially with the fact that they have so many interesting um, guard forward combos that they can go with since they have Asia Durr, they have Laney, they have Sabrina. Obviously, they brought in on um, on Yen where you look at the fact that Natasha Howard is going to be more of like a four or five for them um, as they're like you know, second to third tallest player on the team. She's going to play in between. I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of staggered the way she, you know, fits on the floor. Um, I think that they're in a – I mean, Dee, Dee Richards, too, who we talked about earlier, somebody that might be an interesting facilitator for all of this, um, maybe not on a, a, a high-minutes basis because I think Sabrina is going to be the main one making being a, being a decision-maker for this team. But somebody that can come off the bench and kind of keep the, the ship stirring straight – just my overall thing is they went out, got talent in free agency. 
They went out, got talent in the draft. Then you tell me Asia Durr is a little bit better, especially after the fact that, you know, she had to kind of keep things together, however you want to label that, considering that New York season didn't go as well as maybe they would have liked. But Asia Durr had to keep things relatively um, straight in the meantime with the way things were going before um, with Sabrina going down. And the bigger thing is like, yo, in reality, here's the biggest, the, the most important thing is when you lose when you lose a player of Sabrina's caliber, and what was it? I would think it was three games in, right, if I'm not mistaken. When you lose a player of that caliber so early on, um, yeah, I don't see any team, like, responding to that positively. It's, like, the way that I'm, like, trying to put, like, try to phrase this is, like, that is a that is like a, a player that people were labeling as like once in a generation. This was like one of those players that like, you know, we had our Brianna Stewart phase out of Connecticut and Sabrina was supposed to be of that ilk at the guard position coming out of Oregon. When you lose that kind of talent three games in and you saw what she did in the three games, mind you, they I think what did they go one and two during I think that three game stretch, but like or they might have lost all three games. It wasn't great from a win-lose column, but from a potential, oh, man, she's going to take over the league one day kind of aspect, you saw it right out the gate. So to lose a talent like that so early on, I'm pretty sure they had a lot more influence on why their season went the way it did. The fact that she's coming back alone is going to bring a lot more air into the room. And the fact that they went out and really got her some talent shows that they think she's as legit as she showed off in those, those handful of games. And I think there's a lot of potential with New York and Brooks. I want to transition to you on this one because the next team that we're going to talk about is Las Vegas, who just went to the championship last year. And it seemed like they got significantly better in the offseason. Another team that was that got significantly better in the offseason, and especially through the draft and then free agency. What grade do you give the Las Vegas Aces up to this point? Man, listen, you alluded to it earlier. Liz Cambage comes back. Didn't play because of health concerns. Still have Derek Hamby. Still have Angel McCaffrey. Still have Asia Wilson, the former the the current MVP. Plus you bring in Destiny Slocum. Plus you bring in Melo. Uh, you get Kelsey Plum back from an Achilles tear. You know, and and because you have such great guard depth this year, shoot, you can bring back Kelsey Plum as slowly as you can, and you can you can afford to set her out. You know what I mean? Maybe five, six games in this season that allow her to just take her time to get back and get back into the flow of the game. You know what I mean? I feel like they they're a certified A for sure. They're gonna be a great championship pick. Um, they're gonna be a great threat to the Seattle Storm again, the Mystics again. Um it, it's it's really a shame that there's only one ball to go around because again, you got MVP candidates in, in Cam Beige and then Asia Wilson, you got great guards and Kelsey Plum, Angel. Uh, Melo, of course, Destiny Slogan. I mean, this team is loaded, dude. And the only issue that I can see is chemistry and, and injury stuff, too. And you know what I mean? Uh, you know, maybe they just don't like each other. I don't know. I, I just don't see that happening. Because, again, like we saw last year on Twitter, like Derica and, and Asia were acting like they had an issue. And, of course, they were just playing around. And people were like, what's going on? You know? So, yeah, this is definitely a favorite of mine to win the WNBA title. I don't see how they could not 
when it, you know, again, they're going to be just like the Mystics were a couple of years ago, went into a bench, getting swept by the Seattle Storm. So one of those two teams are going to be the biggest threat to the Seattle Storm this year. We mentioned championship threats and Jalen moving on to the next team in Chicago, another team that got significantly better, not only through the draft, but in free agency, picking up Candace Parker, picking up Charlotte Heel through the draft, picking up Tasha Mack as well through the draft. What grade do you give the Chicago Sky up to this point? I mean, I think this has to be around a B, B plus area too. And I, mean, I think it has a lot to just do with the fact that Man, they they got some players, dude. I mean, I think looking at it, you know, I think that Natasha Mack, like I said beforehand, sneaky, sneaky pickup in the fact that she's going to be one of those players that fail and a lot of teams that pass on her are going to regret it. I think Chicago's going to regret letting her, letting her have to fall in their lap with the fact that they were that the fact that they took Charlotte Hill early and I think that might have actually been a player that they might have been able to take later on but speaking of Charlotte Hill 19 years old really crafty with the ball uh, coming from overseas that means she has extreme amount of potential and the fact that not only because of her youth but the fact that she has the kind of ball handling skills that she has that makes it where they're going to be a really interesting team between the the guard play of her and Courtney Vandersloot because that you basically have two wizards with a ball in their hand at the at the point guard spot. So that's gonna be really interesting. You, you still gotta look at other players like um Ali Quigley, Austin Adore at the center position as one of their true centers. Uh Stephanie Dolson's another one of them. I think Natasha Mack's gonna get a lot of burn early, and I think that's gonna be huge. I think Candace Parker is gonna come kill off top. I think I think that's gonna be one of the things that's most interesting. Happy belated birthday, too. I think he actually passed recently too. So I mean. I think Chicago, I think the biggest thing with them is just the fact that they got players. And I think Courtney Vandersloot, I mean, when I think any team, and we kind of see this with Phoenix now, um, Phoenix in terms of the NBA, any team that has significant talent on paper, and then you have an actual floor general, and then you insert an actual floor general, instantly raises the floor of the team itself. I think Courtney Vandersloot was solid as it was beforehand as a player that could facilitate. But when you give her this handful of athletes, this handful of active bodies who really can go run the floor, be active around the, around the glass, set picks, and genuinely wants to be want, become open for the ball and create shot opportunities for themselves – all you're doing is giving Courtney Vandersloot the ability to stand back and decision make. And that's literally her best and most valuable asset. So I think by maximizing her skill set, by putting all these players around her, I think Chicago instantly gets significantly better out of that. Like I said, because she's the floor raiser, she just needed other talent around it to, to create a floor to raise. And, and now it looks like they have that. Brooks, Jalen mentioned Phoenix and, and the amount of talent that they have on their team already. And I mentioned earlier, they just picked up Kia Nurse in a trade with the New York Liberty. They only had one draft pick this year. I think it was in the third round, picking up Sierra Johnson. What grade do you, do you give the Phoenix Mercury, given what has happened so far? And this is going to be a tough year. Or not, no, actually, it's not going to be a tough year at all. I take that back. No, they still got Skylar Diggins, and they got the GOAT, one of the GOATs for the WNBA and Diana Taras, Tarasi, they're going to be solid. And they and they have Kia Nurse now, and they have Brittany Griner. Dude, they're, they're 
at least a, they're at least a conference finals threat. They're going to be at least, you know, one of those teams that gets talked about that, you know what I mean? Maybe a threat may not be a threat. We, we're still going to have to see, um, you know, I'm never going to bet against Tiana Tarasi. Again, she is the goat of the WNBA. She does everything that you need her to do. Skylar Diggins coming into her own, you know what I mean? After coming, you know, having her child, you know what I mean? Having kind of like an up and down career. I have a, a lot of faith in her too. So Phoenix Mercury, they definitely going to have a target on their back. But too, but the great backcourt, Brandy Griner still being there, Key Nurse being added to the roster. I think they're going to be a fun team to watch this year. And I think I give them, I give them a B because they're basically, they basically stay put and they're basically just going to run it back. So we're going to have to see what happens, man. You know, and the last team that you're going to put a grade on is the Los Angeles Sparks. And the Sparks lose two great players in, in Chelsea Gray and Candace Parker in the offseason. They get Amanda Zowie B in free agency. They improve in the draft by drafting Aurelia Garantes. They also get Jasmine Walker. What grade do you give the Los Angeles Sparks up to this point? So I think that's another one where you have to say that when you lose that kind of talent, you can't be on the perfect side of the ball with this one. So I got to give this one like a B minus. I think getting Zowie B was huge. I also think that getting Jasmine Walker was maybe just as significant just because of her versatility. Uh, Tia Cooper is going to be a, a player, a major player, I think, for Los Angeles. Happy belated to her as well. I think she's going to be really interesting in terms of this roster because of the fact that, you know, with Candace gone, this is your ball now, bro. This is this is your ball to do whatever you want with in terms of creating offense for this team and making the best opportunity of every offensive possession. And she's going to be at the top of every scouting report when we talk about looking at the sparks throughout the season. Uh, Naneka Ogumake is obviously, you know, either first or second in terms of that duo. I think that's interchangeable depending on how you want to look at it. I think Tia has the most upside, but I think Ogumake is the most established so I think that's going to be one of those things that's really interesting throughout the season. Um, I mean, really, the biggest thing for them is just the fact that we just got to see what – I want to see their rookies early. That that I, I, that shit, I don't want that to factor in my grade, but I do want to see them early because I want to see what Garantis can do because of the fact that I just find it impossible that she slipped all the way down from the um from what was projected to be third all the way down to where she was, which I think was like around 22 or somewhere of that ilk. So I don't think I, I want to see I want to see chip on her shoulder version of Arella because I think that that's gonna be I don't think they want to see I don't think the league wants to see it, but I want to see. And then in terms of Jasmine Walker, I just want to see her overall fit because I, I on on paper and in the little bit of tape that I've seen. I think that her versatility on both sides of the ball is something that literally helps any player around her. But I think when we're talking about specific players, in this case of like Agumake, for example, creating off of her, creating around her, um, I think that dynamic between those two is something that I think could be really special and really interesting. I think it also might be a season definer in terms of what Los Angeles can become this year. And I mean, their, their ability to mesh is going to be really interesting because I think both of their uh, skill sets as versatile players is going to tell a lot about like, again, what the potential of this team is moving forward. And Brooks just transitioning to you with the, with the last team that you're going to put a grade on with the Connecticut sun, because 
this is a team that two years ago made the WNBA finals against the Washington Mystics. This year, they kind of got off to a slow start, but were still able to make the playoffs. And then in the draft, they upgraded in a lot of positions, especially at guard in the second round, going back to back by getting uh, Dijanae Carrington, great defensive guard from Baylor, and then Michaela Kelly from Central Michigan, who's a bucket getter. And then you draft Aliyah Goodman in the third round. So a lot of guard depth for Connecticut. What grade do you give the Connecticut Sun up to this point? Man, again, I'm a Dijanae Carrington. Again, um, this is super old, but obviously I feel like the refs got the right call, not giving her the, uh, not giving her that foul at the last second. Um, you know, better, better apple to chew there because I want to be able to win, man. But uh, again, man, she was really impressive that whole tournament, man. Being the sixth man of the year in the Big Twelve, uh, you know, being that big physical guard like you mentioned, defensively is great. The whole Baylor team was just like that, and she just really embodied that. Uh, Aliyah Gilman, great pick there. Um, they still get. You know, Brianna Jones, not Brianna Jones, they still get, you know, Alyssa Thomas, like you mentioned. Desmond, Jasmine Thomas is still, still on the team. Still have John Quill, who, again, she was one of the biggest threats for the for the Sun when they were playing against the Mystics. You know what I mean? Time and time again, she was routinely just making life hard for the Mystics. So, again, and I've, I've said this multiple times, man, these WNBA teams, they always have the right mix of youth and, and, and experience. And this is another one of those teams that really fit that narrative for me. Um, I don't know if I see them as a the biggest threat. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, you still have the Aces. You still have the Storm, Mystics, uh, Phoenix, Mercury. This is going to be a really loaded year up top. And I just, I just don't see how the Connecticut Sun really fit into that title picture. Not unless, you know, they play out of their minds. John Quill plays out of her mind. Alyssa Thomas plays out of her mind. You know, we saw her play at Maryland consistent double-double, you know what I mean? And she's she's still dealing with, like, shoulder injury stuff, you know what I mean? I think she played last year with basically her shoulder, like, falling off the bone. So how is she going to come back? Um, it's it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. I don't think they're going to be a title threat, but they're definitely going to be a playoff threat. They're going to make somebody's life very, very miserable. So we're just going to have to see what happens. So transitioning to the question of the day for our fans, what team do you believe is the most interesting team heading into the WNBA season? We want to thank our guest Brooks Warren today for coming on and discussing the WNBA draft with us. And we'll see you guys next episode. Peace.